Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Essen, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thanks, Sam. Uh, so you gave a talk yesterday on uh, the way you do recommendation systems at Pinterest. What was the specific title of the talk? So the talk was called Diversification in Recommender Systems and how we can use content diversity to try and increase user satisfaction. Awesome. Before we get into that, uh, a little bit about your background. You have a PhD in physics. PhDs in physics are not uh, unfamiliar to this podcast. There are a lot of physics PhDs in ML and AI. Uh, How did you uh, get from physics to uh, machine learning? Yeah, so my background, as you said, is in physics. Um, I used to study condensed matter physics and the physics of complex systems. So complex systems are are often systems that are kind of hard to define using simple equations. And physicists, as you might know, like really love to put an equation to everything. We mm-hmm. like to say, hey, this is how the world works, and I can put that on a T-shirt. Um, <laughs> and, and so uh, complex systems are often systems that um, have a lot of interacting, a lot of moving parts, essentially. And I've always been interested in those kinds of systems. And, and uh, a system like Pinterest is, is similar to that. Uh, before that, I also studied a little bit um, in neural networks and um, uh, worked in sort of soft matter physics, which is polymer physics um, and anything, any other materials that don't behave as we might expect. And you also uh, were an Insight Fellow. I know Ross and Emmanuel and some of the other folks that uh, that have gone through that program. Um, how did, is that kind of how you made the transition into machine learning and AI? Yeah, absolutely. So towards the end of my PhD, I started realizing that a lot of the work that I was doing was quite relevant to the stuff that um, you know people were doing out, out in the Bay Area. And uh, it was a great it was a great way for me to be able to transition into into um, data science. Awesome. So what's your focus at Pinterest? Yeah. So at Pinterest, we have a sort of small data science team. Um, we, I work very closely with the ranking and, uh, and blending, um, team, and they essentially build, um, what we call our main home feed. And, and so when you land at Pinterest, you kind of see a set of pins and, and that feed is what we call the home feed. Um, so what powers that feed is a set of interacting machine learning technologies. Um, and one of our teams uh, is responsible for um, kind of the ranking and the blending of, of, of a lot of that content. And I work really closely with those, those engineers. Okay. Uh, and so the project that you described in your talk was on uh, introducing diversification into that feed. What motivated uh, you to start looking at that? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so machine learning systems often are a per pin system. Recommender systems try to say, uh, I have this user and I have this item. And how likely is this user to engage with or to click on or to whatever, whatever your, 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 um, whatever the system might be with this specific item. And the interesting thing is that they don't often, or at least naive or simple recommender systems don't often think about, um, looking at things as a set of pins. Uh, most recommender systems try to think of stuff as a per pin or a per item basis. Um, but we obviously as human beings can feel that if, if, uh, so the example that I gave in my talk was that um, personally, I, I love using Pinterest for street art. Um, and, you know, one of my favorite street artists is Banksy. And 
the recommender system can learn that I like Banksy, but what ends up happening is that rather than just giving me one Banksy pin, it ends up giving me a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so recommender systems say, Hey, if I know what this person likes, I'm going to give you a thousand of these things. Um, but obviously we have the notion of diminishing returns, right? So, so this is a pretty standard thing in economics where if you give me one of something, I might really like it. But by the hundredth one, the additive value that you're giving me by, by, by showing me that, that piece of content is actually pretty low. Um, and so that, that's kind of the primary motivation behind, uh, thinking about entropy or thinking about randomness and, and, and sort of diversific- content diversification within recommender systems. Mm-hmm. And to maybe jump to the punchline a little bit, and I'll elaborate on why, did you in fact find that diversification provided some additional lift or engagement? Yeah, absolutely. So so uh, that's actually, I, I, I like to do that as well, where I, I try to give away the punchline right in the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, the punchline is that diversity makes users happy, right? And and the reason why is that Pinterest specifically is um, a visual search engine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people come into Pinterest to discover and do what the things that they love. And, and so they want to be able to, they want to be introduced to a bunch of content mm-hmm. that they can explore and browse and then kind of dive deep into the things that they really, that they really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the things that you really find, I mean, if you think about the last time someone recommended a good book to you or, or mm-hmm. you know, a good uh, art show to you, it often happens by chance. And, and you know, the word for it is serendipity, right? right? And so what we want to do is we want to create serendipitous experiences mm-hmm. on Pinterest where people okay. come on and they're able to, 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 to find those things. And, and when there's more diversity, that is more likely to happen. Right. Uh, so what, what prompted the question was, uh, in fact, another interview that I had with the uh, speaker at Strata from Reuters who looked at essentially recommendations. They were trying to uh, determine the best uh, articles to surface to a user in their infinite scroll uh, redesign. Uh, So you go to an article and when you're finished with that article, you see the next article automatically. Uh, And they looked at a couple of different experiments. One was surfacing similar articles another was surfacing dissimilar articles and the third was surfacing articles just top world news articles and they found that uh, in fact in their case similar articles had the greatest performance as opposed to dissimilar which is kind of analogous to the diversification uh, that you're describing but um, I think I guess all this speaks to the fact that it's really about your users and the way they want to use your site yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really interesting point. So the interesting thing about Reuters or any news um, or most news agencies, <laughs> I should say, is that they're not personalized usually, right? Like Reuters is just trying. And they to, are not. Exactly. exactly. So they're trying to give you content. Most of the content that they serve their users will probably be homogenous. Mm-hmm. However, for us, uh, if you look at a specific user's home feed, it's entirely personalized to that specific user. Um, from you know the, the the language that that user speaks to the type of content that they've engaged with in the past to the users that they follow to all these different things, um, and therefore for us um, diversification is actually a really important part of that. Um, and I should also caveat that I, I don't think that 
you know, the, the extreme end of this, like if you could take it to the, to, to the, you know, ad infinitum, it would be that everything should be random. And that's not what I'm saying either, right? There's some sweet spot. So, so in machine learning, we use the term explore versus exploit. And the idea is that if you really personalize, if you really say, hey, this user really likes Banksy street art, all I'm going to show this user is Banksy street art, that's like extreme exploitation. Right. And extreme ex- exploration is randomness. And there's right. some sweet spot between those two, which allows for this kind of uh, discovery experience that we want to try and give our users. Mm-hmm. And so how did you organize the presentation? Yeah, um, so... It, basically, I start off by talking uh, generally about the motivation, and then I sort of give a few examples of how do we um, actually measure this diversity. So, so one of the really important problems within, like in, in the past in literature as well as now, is um, we can intuitively feel that. Like I can tell you that this was a Banksy street art pen, but how how do you actually give that information? To a machine learning algorithm as a number or as something mm-hmm. that they, that there could be an input to to your to your system, um, and so I primarily focused like m- more than half of my talk was trying to focus on how do we measure that and what are the kinds of tests that we can do to be able to um, understand that this this measure is actually working for us, um, and so these things are things like uh, is our is my metric stable, which means that. Um, how, as I give it more information, does it actually kind of converge to a specific value? Um, and how, how quickly does it converge? Because that's an important thing as well. Like, I don't, I, I want to be able to give it, you know, 10 pins or a, a few pins. Uh, pins here are just our basic unit of, of content on Pinterest. Um, and, and it should be able to give me a pretty good value. So that's stability. Um, the second thing is... You're some, giving it 10 pins and it's giving you a pretty good value of what? Of diversity. Okay. Yeah. So you can imagine that with, with one image... Um, it, it, so let's imagine we have a thousand pins, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's some value of diversity that I can give that set of pins. And so you can, for example, if all those thousand pins were related to street art, the diversity of that would be pretty low because they're mm-hmm. all street art. If they were entirely random, the diversity should be pretty high. So the number that I, that I give it should be pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I subsample, let's say, one pin from that thousand set of pins, um, maybe it randomly happens to be not a street art pin, right? right? And then now I take two samples and now I can maybe get a better value of diversity. Now I take three and so on and so forth. And so how many pins do I need in order to be able to get to that number pretty quickly? This mm-hmm. is what I mean by stability. Okay. Um, and then the second important aspect of it is sensitivity, which means that does it behave the way we want it to behave? So um, the, the example here would be, again, like, let's say I have a set of pins and 100% of them are Banksy street art, right? And so the, the diversity value should, here should be pretty low. Um, now let's say we start introducing a completely orthogonal topic into this, this set of pins. So mm-hmm. imagine something like scooters or cars or whatever. Um, something that, that we think is like different. And then we introduce some of these spins into this system and we should see this diversity value kind of go up. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're at 50-50, where we have 50% um, like scooters, 50% street art, then this diversity value should be at its max. And then as you keep introducing more and more scooters into it until we have 100% scooters, then this diversity value should come down again. Mm-hmm. And so 
if this measure doesn't move very much or doesn't move the way we actually be expect it to behave, then it's not working. Mm -hmm. And so th this kind of a study of trying to understand if the measure is, is, is working is a sensitivity analysis. Mm -hmm. and, and so I talk a little bit about this. Uh, one quick question on that. So you said that when you have this 50-50 distribution of uh, pin topics, assuming we know how to find those, mm -hmm. that this diversity measure should be at, at its max. That, that's like one, that's a design decision, right? It's, you could also argue that the diversity metric should be at its max when every pin is of a different topic. Totally, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what I mean by saying max is max in this, uh, in, in the spectrum of mixing these two topics. So you're absolutely mm -hmm. right that if I introduced a third topic into this, now that value should be even higher than ah. if I only have two topics. Okay. Um, so th that's actually another analysis that I didn't talk about in my talk, but we did do, which is that let's say I have 50, 50, two topics, mm -hmm. and now we have 30, 30, 30, three topics. And then let's say we keep going with like 25, 25, 25, like four topics and mm -hmm. so on. We actually keep seeing that this value increases until some max point where it flattens out. Mm -hmm. And and so th that's also uh, another aspect of sensitivity, which we also checked. Okay. Um, yeah. But that's a great, that's a great question. Okay. Uh, and so the third... Yeah, and so the last thing is basically, uh, in physics, we just call this sanity checking, right? So, mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that this metric is sensible for the system that, we're, that we have now constructed. Um, so on Pinterest, we have something called boards. Boards are collections of pins or collections of these units of um, images that people, that our users have kind of put together. Um, and these are thematically often quite similar. So, so users create boards, for example, for, you know, um, flowers for their wedding and so all of the the pins on that on that board will be like purple flowers or something of that sort uh, people will create a board for scooters people i have a board for example for street art you know and so on and so forth mm -hmm. and we we generally know that these boards should be thematically quite consistent and quite mm -hmm. similar um, so one of the things that i did was i sampled um lots of users boards and try to give those um, set of pins a value for diversity and that creates a distribution and this distribution now um, should be lower than the dis lower in diversity um, of from the distribution if i just randomly sample pins from our corpus from from our system and so we basically created multiple distributions like this just to make sure that the distribution for boards is actually like the mean and everything is much lower mm -hmm. than the distribution for random pins and then um, the distribution for sessions or when users come on what do they see on pinterest is actually kind of overlapping between those two things because mm -hmm. sometimes users come on to see pretty random content but sometimes Sometimes users may come on just to see something very specific. And so we see that the sessions, uh, not only is the, the the mean kind of that distribution making sense, but the standard deviation is a lot bigger too. And so we know that it's more spread out. Okay. And that generally kind of makes sense as well. And, and so given those three checks of stability, sensitivity, and sanity, we can then become quite confident that this measure is something that that, that we that we can use. Mm. Were you able to like look for boards that were titled miscellaneous or random and compare them to uh, and compare them in diversity to other types of boards? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I tried doing some stuff where I looked at specific topics and saw that um, within within boards topics of 
you know, one uh, boards of one topic can be different in diversity than boards of a different topic. Um, okay. I think the most Me- and meaning consistently. Yeah, exactly. Or, or in general, like if you create those distributions, they often are non-overlapping, mm-hmm. um, one being greater than the other. I can't remember right now what a specific example, but um, like one of the one of the things I think was that crockpot recipes was much lower in diversity than a board titled like wedding or, or a okay. board titled, huh. you know, some, <laughs> something like that. And I guess the thing is that wedding is a much broader category. Like you could right. have you know, anything from dresses to flowers to all sorts of stuff in wedding. Whereas if you're, if you have crockpot recipes, they're quite specific, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, things like that, we definitely saw, but that's a good point about boards tit- being titled random. And, and if they were in fact random or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you may be coming to this, but I'm curious how you got at what the, uh, the pins content was. Did you, you know, are we looking at metadata or are we doing deep learning on the images yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so when we when users put a pin onto our system, they generally put it on a specific board, which has a title and a description and stuff. And, and then the pin itself has a description too, where users can write some stuff uh, about, about the image that they've uploaded. And then often pins actually have uh, web pages associated with the content, right? And so when you, when you try to, um, when we have all this information about the pin, um, we can actually associate certain words with these pins. And so um, the, the example that I gave was if you have a street art pin, um, the words that are associated with this are things like art and you know graffiti or Banksy and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And we call these uh, words associated with pins pin annotations. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of step one, which is that Try to get uh, to the key topics of the pin, mm-hmm. um, and we do this by, by by this kind of tokenization of of these words that we can get from the descriptions, the board titles, the web pages, and so forth. Um, once we have these annotations, we can actually use. Uh, so I walked in my in my talk. I walked through several measures of diversity that they, that you can use. Um, one of the problems with words, though, is that they're synonyms, and so mm-hmm. when 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 you say like art versus uh, street art versus graffiti or something of that sort th- these have overlapping meanings mm-hmm. and because of that we actually couldn't get very stable uh, measures of diversity using purely words using purely annotations mm-hmm. so there's a lot of um, work on lexical diversity in linguistics literature and then so you can use some of those standard techniques uh, we also tried using some techniques like entropy or the Gini coefficient, which are um, from like physics or economics. And then, um, but, but at the core of it, the issue is that annotations or words can often have synonyms and there's, in, there's the inherent instability in that. And so what we ended up doing was creating these embeddings using a matrix factorization. And so what embeddings try to do is that they try to map these words onto vectors, right? And not just any vectors, but some quite special vectors in the sense that you can add and subtract these vectors and they still have meaning. So the very standard example that people give is that if you have the vector for king, you can subtract man and add a woman and then get queen out of that. And and the fact that that works actually still blows my mind because it's <laughs> it's quite incredible that we can do that in such a such a such, such a, a way that that we can still interpret and makes a lot of sense. 
Um, and so we actually do exactly that, where we take these annotations and we know that annotations on a specific board are related to each other. And, and so we use that matrix of annotations as columns and boards as rows and factorize that to be able to get annotation embeddings. And so once we have these annotation embeddings and we know that the, the each bin has associated, like, let's say we take the top 10 annotations for each bin. Uh, now, because of the fact that these, these embeddings can be added and subtracted and stuff, we can actually just take the average of it. And that average mm -hmm. still has meaning. Um, and that embedding we call the pin embedding. Okay. And so once we have that pin embedding, now we can actually do simple things like, you know, calculate the similarity or dissimilarity in this case um, of different pins and be able to give that that kind of um, get that um, embedding diversity value out of that. Is there a single pin embedding at Pinterest or do you have multiple different types of pin embeddings that you use? Like, is that a pin annotation embedding and there are other types of pin embeddings? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we definitely have a lot of embeddings and we're trying to converge to a single unified embedding, which encapsulates everything. And, and mm -hmm. so a lot of the stuff that I've talked about so far has been about um, the words that are that are on the pin. But you can imagine that there's, there's a visual embedding, right? Mm -hmm. An embedding that's purely based on um, the image itself. And we definitely have a team that entirely focuses on trying to create a visual embedding. Um, and we actually recently launched something which tries to combine the two. Um, and, and there's a podcast, uh, there's a, a blog post about that that I can link at some point. Um, so you talk through the properties of the, the metric and then um, the, you're using embeddings to develop the metric. Uh, what else did you talk about in you, or what was next in yeah. your talk? I mean, so the final step obviously is that we have the problem, we've kind of motivated it. Right. Um, we have sort of the solution, which is how do we measure the diversity? But then the final step is how do we actually implement this into our system? How do mm -hmm. we use it, right? And actually before you, before you jump into that, the, you mentioned um, a couple of alternatives, um, some lexical work from the linguistic space and uh, entropy and things from physics. How far did you go down those paths? Or did you kind of look down those paths and say, hey, we don't want to go down there? Well, we definitely, we, we, we went far enough where we were able to understand what the pros and cons of those approaches are and, mm -hmm. and whether it works for us. Mm -hmm. and, and when we found that something doesn't work for us, we kind of moved on from there. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the very first example, you know, there's something called the type token ratio, which just takes the unique number of annotations and divides it with the total. And so this is something that's like very easy to understand. Uh, and, and that's, the, I think there, there are, that is the pro of, of some of these approaches, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, interpret, interpretability is a really important aspect in machine learning, which people sometimes ignore these days. But, but, but that does have its value and merits. And, and, and so I think the, the, the point is being that like you kind of have to try it out, see what the pros mm -hmm. and cons are, see if it you know, matches the three conditions that I mentioned of like stability, sensitivity, and, and sanity. And if it doesn't, then you kind of move on to the next approach and, and stop where you find something that works. So this type token, for example, pretty simple, but the, it really trips up with the synonyms. It, exactly. Yeah. And, and so you can imagine that if I have um, uh, some two pins that are, that are 
quite different, but then you know might have overlapping annotations. It'll it it just won't understand. Or if they're quite similar, um, like imagine slow cooker and crockpot, which are two mm-hmm. separate words, but you know have have quite the same meaning. Um, it'll actually think that they're very different, and so it just doesn't behave the way that we want it to behave. Right. Right. So the implementation of the system. What were some of the big challenges there? Yeah, so uh, before jumping into the implementation, I'll just quickly describe what our recommendation stack looks like. Okay. And so we start off with um, you know, our pin corpus, which is sort of billions and billions of pins. Um, we, we narrow that down to uh, a stage called candidate generation, where we have a bunch of different ways of generating candidates for you know, recommendations. And so some of these involve purely content to content type recommendations, but some of them involve more like collaborative filtering type approaches um, and so on and so forth. Like we have a lot of these different approaches. And at this stage, we kind of get about off the order of thousands of pins for our users. Um, the next step is pure ranking. So at Meaning this point, for a given uh, user's home feed, you'll get thousands of candidate pins? Exactly. Okay. Um, so when a user comes onto Pinterest, uh, we do, we're doing all of this stuff in the background before they even land on the on the home feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next step is ranking, where we just blend all of the or, or put all of these things together and try to say, well, how do they actually perform against each other? What is the probability that this user will in fact engage with this specific pen or not? Um, and then the final step is actually blending, and and at this stage where we're taking content. Um, from the user's followers, uh, from the user's, um, from the from the, the user that the the viewer follows, uh, from the topics that they're interested in, and finally from their recommendations, which are these machine learning systems, and we're putting them all together into a single feed uh, or creating a, a a chunk, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at this final step, uh, you can imagine that, that there's a lot more control in trying to tune this explore-exploit balance of do we want to try and show users uh, 100% things that we know that they will engage with, or do we want to sneak in some more exploratory stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the stage at where, where we started adding this diversification. Um, and the way that we essentially did it was that we would calculate this, this embedding dissimilarity metric for uh, all the pins that we were about to show the user. And we said, is it too similar? Is it the first few pins that this user is going to see? Um, are they all very, very similar? Mm-hmm. And if they are, then we push some of the pins down and we actually introduce more uh, sort of randomness and more entropy into the system. Hmm. Do you consider this at all a personalization parameter? Like user A wants more diversification in their field than user B? Yeah, that's a great question. So we did. We we are also trying other approaches of uh, introducing diversity. And so one of the ways of doing that is actually adding it into the to to our. Um, to our ranking function, essentially, um, and and these things are often called submodular functions, and so so there 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 is an approach of doing something like that as well. We specifically found that the, this approach of just kind of looking at the final product and then seeing if it's too similar and just you know penalizing at that step works slightly better than actually trying to do it the other way. Um, that's not to say that it won't work for anyone else. I think it's just a, a matter of the system and how it behaves. Um, but but that's definitely one of the one of the options as well. So the the pin embeddings did that pre-exist this particular project? Was it already available for you, or did you have to create that as part of building out the system? So we actually had to create new pin embeddings for this. Um, and and the reason why often is again 
the characteristics of the embeddings um, that you want can often differ from different use cases, from from use case to use case. And so the the, the given pin embedding, the, the embeddings that we already had just didn't behave the way that they, we wanted them to behave. Um, and and this is this is again the thing of, of any any um, a lot for a lot of these systems. Um, the technologies are often already out there. Mm-hmm. You kind of just have to pick and choose like what works for me and what are the, what is the problem that I'm really trying to solve. And right. at the end of the day, you know, it, it's it is great to to try and build out something new. But at the same time, if something already works, you just use that. Um, and in this case, we just realized that you know we we had to create something new to be able to to um, solve this problem. Mm-hmm. So you haven't talked much about. Um, kind of the operating characteristics, scalability requirements. I mean, clearly you, you talked about how many pins there are and, and uh, the number of candidates. Did the solution that you, the, the direction you started going, did it just kind of work fine uh, or did it have to be massaged in order to get it to perform at the, to meet the requirements of the site? Yeah, that's actually a great question. So, so um, when we think about the pros and cons between, let's say, like the annotation diversity that I talked about and the embedding diversity, that was actually a big thing that we took into account when deciding on which approach to choose. And so the reason why, and, and so in this case, embedding diversity actually does um, it is better in terms of scalability. And the reason why is because embeddings are numbers and mm-hmm. numbers are easier to, you know, store and add and subtract and do all these things to instead of actual words, which are the annotations of so each pin has, you know, hundreds of annotations associated with it. And we're trying to find what's the overlap between two things. You literally have to go through every single one and kind of, you know, uh, see which ones overlap. And, and that's actually a very expensive process if you mm-hmm. want to do it at scale. Um, and, and so for embeddings, uh, which are just vectors, we can actually add and subtract them fairly easily. And there's libraries that do matrix factorization and stuff like that pretty, pretty fairly. Um, having said that, matrix factorization is actually something that's very hard to do at scale. Mm-hmm. And in that case, what comes into play is... Uh, is, is sampling, but sampling in, in the correct way, um, in the sense of like sampling in a way that doesn't introduce biases into your system. And that, that in itself is a topic that's really hard to do. We ended up using reservoir sampling, but there's... Can you, can you elaborate on this whole area? What um, Are you using sampling in place of creating embeddings for every pin? Is that what you're suggesting? No. So what I'm, I guess if you come back to the matrix that we're factorizing, we're essentially looking at annotations as uh, the columns and the rows being boards here. And mm-hmm. so the reason why we're using boards is because we think boards are more thematically similar. And if we if we do it on boards, we're able to actually get at the the meaning of that annotation a little bit better or the the, the, the vector that we're going to associate with this, this annotation mm-hmm. a little bit better. And so the sampling that I'm talking about is actually at that board level. Um, which okay. is that that how many boards do we sample? What are the topics that we sample these boards from? And, and you can imagine that right. if I just do it randomly, I might create biases for things that people create a lot of boards for versus things that people mm. don't create a lot right. of boards right. for. And and so we have to be quite smart about that when we're when we're trying to do this. Makes sense. And uh, how did you approach that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we started simple. <laughs> right. We started with the, the, you know, trying to do it the very simple way where we, we just did a random sample. Um, recognize what are the, what is the granularity at which we want to be able to find differences between these boards and mm -hmm. then uh, try to skew it in the opposite way of that. So if we have a lot of boards from a specific piece of content, we try to sample less from there and then we oversample places where we don't have enough um, content. If you have a lot of boards from, meaning a lot of boards that a specific piece of content belongs to? Um, a lot of boards that are thematically quite similar. And so the idea here is that, let's say, uh, we have a lot of users creating wedding boards. Mm -hmm. And so it, it could be that if I just sample randomly, I end up getting just a lot of wedding boards. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, we also want to make sure that we have boards for scooters or boards for street art and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And if there's not enough boards that are just being created for that type of content, we actually have to oversample there and undersample boards that are that are being created just, just in volume a lot more. Hmm. Is there, would it be a reasonable... Uh, approach to look at creating an embedding space for boards and then using that embedding space for boards to try to determine diverse boards and then using that to feed into your pin embedding? Yeah, I mean, it, so at Pinterest, we are actually quite lucky where we have this really nice graph of, you know, a user creating a board and that board uh, having a bunch of pins on it. Mm -hmm. And then often these pins overlap with other boards. Um, the 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 most smallest unit in this obviously is the pin and so we can roll up to the boards if we want um, but but you're right in the sense that we could we could do it at the board level and then roll it up to the user or something of that sort mm -hmm. um, but but given that we have the pin embeddings we can actually just roll it up to the user uh, roll it up to the board and then be able to get that value for the board as well mm -hmm. um, and and so it, it's often good to be able to start at the most basic unit and kind of roll it up if, if mm -hmm. needed um, because then you have the granularity, right? Yeah, I guess that, yeah, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And so implementation. Yeah. Uh, so, so as I said, at the blending level, we're able to kind of tune this explore exploit balance. Um, and the idea here simply is that we take the set of pins and, and what we do, what we, what, what's basically known as first page optimization. And so the idea is that one of the things that we'd found with these, with these embeddings is that the top of users' feeds are often the least diverse in the sense that recommender systems often try to shove everything that, that they think that the user will really engage with right at the top of the feed, which kind of makes sense because, again, recommender systems are trying to do this at a per item or a per pin basis. They're not really thinking too much about, like, what does the page look like? How does this pin look like in association with the pins that, are, that it's surrounded by? And, and so that's the reason why, um, you know, it, this is actually quite effective at that blender level because now we have a set of pins. Now we have this page that, that, that before we show the user, we can kind of take a look at and be like, hey, does this kind of look good together? Um, and so the lower diversity at the top of the feed actually um, often uh, makes users feel that, you know, this is all the stuff that I'm going to see. But if you actually scroll a little bit lower, there is a lot of content that's more diverse. We're just not showing it right at the top. And so if you actually push some of that content further up the feed, you know, you can kind of users are able to ex be exposed to more diversity right at the top, which kind of encourages them to explore more. Mm -hmm. and, and so when you talk about this, the focus being this 
first page diversity, does that mean that uh, after the first page of recommendations, you're not going through the same process uh, and assuming that the recommender is already going to uh, produce a, a more diverse uh, feed? So we do go through the process even after the first page, okay. but it becomes more crucial right at the top right? because that's where the issue that we found was. We also found that the issue was actually um, more severe in users that are the most active. So the more active that you are, the more we know about you and the more we're able to kind of over-optimize on the interests that we know you have as opposed to the interests that you may or may not have, right? Mm -hmm. And and so um, th there's a bunch of things here that that the quantitative measure of diversity allowed us to do. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing, as I mentioned, is the fact that we understood and recognized that the problem was more severe at the top of the feed versus lower down. Um, the problem was more severe, for example, for users that was the most active. And then we can also do things like try to understand, well, is is this problem more severe for um, users that are that are that that speak a different language or users that um, so th th there's a lot of other properties of this that we can now kind of understand a little bit more and and tackle those problems head on as opposed to just kind of thinking about diversity as a as a more qualitative problem, we can try to focus on specific quantitative approaches of doing that. All of this is based on understanding what engagement means for the for these pins. Uh, and you know there are kind of the obvious things like uh, likes, thumbs ups, that those kinds of things, comments. Um, but when thinking about the, the board and diversity on the board, you know, a lot of times it's just, you know, what you see when the, the board comes up and, and that having a, a qualitative, making a qualitative impression on the user. Did you do user studies or things like that outside of just kind of the pure click engagement metrics? Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, this issue actually was. So we have a we have an entire team that that's devoted to try and talk to users, do a lot of qualitative research to be able to understand what are the problems that users are facing, and then we obviously listen to a lot of the comments and stuff that users give us as well. Um, and and so th this problem actually we studied quite in depth where. Uh, we got a bunch of users to come in from varying backgrounds, and we tried to understand w what are the problems that you're facing. How you know, um, and and so the, the in my talk, I actually give a few quotes from some of our users that specifically talk about this problem, where users say, "Well, I see the same stuff all the time," or um, "I want more diversity," and, and and I want more type new type of new content or new topics, and you know, I want. Pinterest to kind of broaden the, the, the types of things that it shows me and stuff like that. Um, and so we kind of approach it from a bunch of different ways. Like we, you know, we have very like in-depth studies where we sit down and talk to users for, for an hour. We have, you know, a, a way for users to write to us and, and do all sorts of stuff like that. And then we have user surveys, which are sort of quick responses. And then finally, we have the experiments that we run where um, we try something out. And, and, and in this case, we, we tried this specific approach that I described uh, out in an actual experiment. And then we try to see, do one, do users come back more often? Um, mm -hmm. And two, when they do come back, do they spend more time and do they, do they actually like feel like they're, they're, they're engaging more? And, and so uh, we saw a lot of these approaches kind of converging on the same thing, which, which kind of tells us that we're doing something right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so another um, way to come at that is that for this type of problem, you're optimizing 
more on site engagement and then car than pin engagement per se. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, often those two things correlate. Um, mm-hmm. Where site engagement often correlates with how often people engage more with content. Um, but you know, users come on for a bunch of various reasons. So, and, and users mm-hmm. have different ways of engaging. So, some users may come in and and you know click a lot, or or what we call repinning, which is that they take pins that they see and put them on their own boards. Mm-hmm. Um, but then some users just come on to explore, right? Like right. users are coming on to like. Um, you know, design things and actually take actions on those things. But they're also just coming to, you know, for entertainment. They just want to see a bunch of content. They want to try and explore new new ideas or explore new aspects of themselves. Um, and, and we kind of want to, we don't want to over-optimize on one specific type of user base. We try, want to try and do it more holistically. And site engagement is a good proxy for that. So uh, you've uh, insert the, inserted this into your pipeline. You've got it up and running on the site. You've did, done some experiments. You know, we know that uh, you found that uh, increased diversity works. Um, but you know, how well? How exactly did you measure that? Yeah. So so finally, we did an experiment. We we actually did a bunch of a series of experiments, and the final one that we decided to launch was uh, was one where. Um, as I mentioned, a users are coming back more often to the site, and so that's one of uh, that. That basically tells us inherently that users did find value when they when they came once, and therefore they've decided to come back. Um, and that's a really important measure for us. Um, and then the second thing is when they do come on, do do they engage more? Do they repin more? Do they uh, spend more time? And and so we actually saw that we um, increased time spent by about one percent, which is quite huge. Um, and then we were also able to increase the number of pin impressions that, that that users were seeing. So that just meant that every time they came in, they actually scrolled deeper and had longer and 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 hopefully more meaningful sessions. Um, and and that was finally our our sort of proxy for saying that this is this is something that's actually providing value to users. To kind of start to wrap up, any what were the key takeaways that you left the the audience with? Yeah. So, uh, sort of the main thing that I think that this shows is that, um, measuring content diversity or measuring diversity in any recommender system is incredibly important. And, and the reason why it's important is because it's, it's not just a tack on that you can put right at the end of your system. It's actually something that's inherently fixing a pretty common flaw that recommender systems have, which is that recommendations are often per pin or per item. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not taking into account things like, you know, diminishing returns or, or how, how do people look at something when they see lots of stuff at the same page, which is how we as human beings actually interact with the content. We don't see things like, hey, look at this one thing and then look at this one thing and so on and so forth. We actually often see things in a, in, in, in a, in a holistic view. So it's incredibly important. It's non-trivial in the sense that it has to, it, you can't just use the first thing that, that comes to mind. You often have to do a lot of analysis and a lot of like kind of deep studies in terms of, you know, stability, sensitivity and, and, and things like that to be able to understand, is this measure right for the system that I'm, that I'm, that I'm working with? Um, and then finally, it's important. It's non-trivial. And then when it's actually done well, it can have a lot of real user impact. It can make your users much happier. Um, and, and this is something that we finally showed through these experiments and this implementation that we had. 
But um, the final takeaway just is that measuring diversity in recommender systems is actually important, non-trivial, and can have real user impact. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Essen, thank you so much for taking the time to share this with us. It's yeah, great. thank you so much, Sam. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Essen or any of the topics covered in this show, visit twimmelaicom slash talk slash 187. For more information on the entire Strata Data podcast series, visit twimmelaicom slash strata ny 2018. Thanks again to our sponsors, Capital One and Cloudera for their sponsorship of this series. As always, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.